Thank you, Ruth. Nailed it. Next week, I'm going to have her read all of Leviticus. This is just pastor, just pastor CrossFit Open type style. Nice job. These, uh, uh, thank you, Ruth. Uh, today, I will be uh, talking again in this series. We've been looking at portraits of God and the way at times how culture or even the church has come against uh, the truth of Christ accidentally or on purpose with distortions. The idea is that we would get a clear picture of who Christ is. And today, the idea would be coming through, uh, how do we get revelation about who Christ is? Is it through the scripture? Is it through culture? Is it in city? Is it in relationship? All of it uh, would be undergirded by this notion that we want to know God. We want to know him. That's why we gather. And as we gather in the community this morning, there's people deeply affected by the Christmas story because they were part of that. They ministered to them. We have people coming to church this morning with heavy hearts, people coming with joyous hearts, people coming from every different walk of life. We come together uh, under one purpose. That's to know Christ. That's where our unity lies. We, we may look different, different genders, different skin colors, maybe different politics, but what unites us in this room is Christ. And so may he be formed in us as his scripture comes alive. Let's pray to that end now. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the gift of your scriptures and the gift of your revelation. Thank you that you're in the beauty business. God's speaking to us, wooing us in creation and in joy, and even, God, at times through loss, that you want to continue to add to us, to build us up, to be women and men who follow you and know you in order that you'd be glorified in us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this message you're about to deliver. We pray that your spirit would come alive in this room and move us all closer to your feet. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. All God's people said, amen. The title of our message today is called Knowing God. Knowing God. And to start by way of illustration, I would just say that sometimes in my home recently, I've been searching for things and not finding them, and searching without finding is frustrating. What do I mean? I've got four kids, and my youngest is really smitten right now with scavenger hunts. So he's seven, and he can spell phonetically, and he'll tear pieces of paper up, sometimes four clues deep, sometimes eight or even 11, and there's a picture and a stick figure and maybe a word that you have to spell out phonetically, and these clues are all over the house, and they don't even make logical sense. And sometimes as a dad, it's like, all right, how long is this search going to take? The other day, I was in my car driving away, and I knew a search was going on at home, and I'm like, oh my goodness, there was a, there was a clue in my car, and I'm like, going to worry. I had to like turn around and like redirect the clue. Is searching without finding could be frustrating. And, and we can stay in it with him like, bud, show me what you're trying to show us. And he takes one clue, one clue. Like, and at times, I can get frustrated with the search. Oftentimes, people in our culture give up searching for God, give up the ability that they think of knowing God because they're searching without finding. They're frustrated with something that they're hungering for God for. And we believe as a church that when people hunger for the Seahawks victory, hunger for the, you know, new Kanye album, hunger for a great meal at one of our city's restaurants, that underneath those hungers, those temporal earthly hungers, is something deeper, that we hunger for truth, 
that we hunger for meaning, that all hungers point towards God, that at our very core, that we were made to image God, that we don't reflect a Genesis 3 world, though we do, of a brokenness. We hunger from this Genesis 1 place. We were made in order to be full of the beauty of creation, to mirror God back. And so when we're distorted from that, we search, but we don't find. And we look into our city, we know people are hungry, people are searching, We see this all over. We see this with our internet searches because most people in our culture today go to the internet when they're searching. What are we we searching for? So just by way of research, it's interesting. Boomers and seniors, there's some in the room, spend more time online, 19 hours each week than every other form of media, more than even TV right now. Adults ages 50 plus, four hours and nine minutes on social media each week. At 35 to 49 year olds, six hour and 58 minutes, almost an hour day on social media. 95% of Gen Z is on YouTube. What are we searching for? Well, even on YouTube, what are we searching for? Number one, when, when we go into this analytics about reading the Bible, the phrase in YouTube, Bible study, how to, receives over half a million unique monthly searches on YouTube in America. That should be encouraging because we have this misnomer that millennials aren't hungry for Christ and they've left the church. Like, they're looking for God. How to pray. The phrase, how to pray, receives 130,000 unique monthly searches on YouTube in America. We're hungry and we have fear. We have lo- fear. 40% of the top most popular Bible verses on Bible study tools on both Google and YouTube address fear. About relationships. Now, hear me carefully. Don't go typing into your search bar, S-E-X. Like my pastor said, no, that's the wrong thing I want you to hear. But if you most popular YouTube channels among young Christians, and you'll find the most popular videos about sex and dating and relationships. We're curious. We're we're hungry. We're, We're looking for purpose. The most popular Bible verse on Bible study tools, Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope and to a future. As we've unpacked in this room, the irony of that verse was given to a group of people in captivity that had turned away from God and God spoke this word of promise because God is always wooing you back into relationship. We are hungry for purpose and there is a distortion. At times at the church, we've, we've so lived by the encouragement that Scripture would be a guide to God that if we're not careful, scripture can, be, scripture can become a God. Or we become so divorced from culture that we say, the only way to know God is through the text. Or, or then there's another whole movement of people that say, I don't need the text. I certainly don't need church. I just need mountains. I need revelation through, you know popular music or I, I experience God on the top of Stephen's Pass and fresh powder. Like, I don't need the Bible. I don't need the church. Listen, we need both. We need both. It's why we gather together as a church some 2,000 years. Jesus, there's got to be a better way than this. He's like, it's what I got and it's what I gave you. Belong to each other. And, and open the text together and break bread together. And as you come hungry, you'll see something in the other that you need to be reflected upon. You need the church. You need the scriptures. But hear that Jesus is constantly speaking through all of creation. Because when people are hungry, only God can fill them up. And so the point of our lives as Christians, how do we know God? The point is to point to Christ 
and to point people to him, to search and to find and to know God, that we would be a church knowing God in our city, in our culture, for the power of Christ. Let's start at the beginning here. We've got to know the city. The speech in the Areopagus on Mars Hill, there's a, there's a whole kind of learning about how to speak about Christ. First of all, we've got to know the city. Paul gets to Athens. At one point, it was the high point of all world culture. Again, Rome has conquered Athens too. And so uh, they're no longer a ruling party, but still Athens is the center of thought. And so Paul is walking through the city and he's seeing the idols. He, he, he's like, man, they're searching for something. It says as, he, as he's, wa- he's waiting in Athens for his friends, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. This word see is this Greek word anthereo. He's seeing, he's searching, he's looking. He knows that this curiosity undergirds all evangelism. That if we want to know God, we're going to have to search into the city for places that people are hungering for more of God. Paul looks into the city and he sees a city of idols. Athens had over 30,000 different temples and idols. God's everywhere and it breaks Paul's heart. It breaks his heart. There's this word, he's greatly distressed. Paraxano, Paraxano, he's he's grieving over the fact that these people have so many gods trying to, you know, kind of fill that void in their life and they don't know Christ. He was greatly distressed. Another way to to say it, he had a storm burning within him. His heart was burning. Remember Jesus, when he got to Jerusalem and he, he wept over the city. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. If only you knew. And I have this question for you. Like you live in the city. Well, no, I don't go downtown. I'm like, this is the city. Talk to our friends in eastern Washington. They think all of western Washington is the city. When you see the city, what does your heart burn for? Does it burn for more of Christ? Does it burn for more of Jesus? Does it burn that, that would you just hope that the people in our culture would love God? I mean, that's what, the, that's what Mars Hill Sermon is encouraging us to just burn from this place of wanting people to experience and know God in their heart of hearts. And so Paul visits the Areopagus, the, the center of the culture life in Athens. He goes on the hill to speak to the council of the religion and education, which met daily to discuss different ideas. And though all ideas were open, the one idea on the Areopagus, on Mars Hill, the one idea that wasn't okay was the idea of resurrection. Because resurrection was out. So if you're going to talk resurrection, don't come and talk to us. But anything else, every day they're discussing ideas. The men of the city, it's men only. Uh, We'll talk about that a little bit later. But a key tenet of the gathering was there was no resurrection of the dead. Paul notes there's both Epicureans and Stoics. Epicureans believed that God was so distant he was not involved in the day-to-day living of our life. And so eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die, as Dave Matthews' band sings. And they just, I mean, it was all about good food. It was all about sensuality because we could just experience the divine and maybe get a picture of what God was. And the Stoics said, no, 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 no. God is so here. He's like, almost like pantheism under every walk, under every tree. But our response to that is to be reserved. So fundamentally, these two groups, and there was others like them, these two groups disagreed about how to know God. But what they agreed upon was what Paul was talking about was nonsense. He started talking about resurrection, started talking about Christ. That's interesting. In our life in the city, how do we help others know God? 
How do we point to Christ? First, a problem. Many of us fear that we don't know enough about God ourselves. We don't know enough about our own story. If you know the mindset of the city, if you can tell stories like Sean told about where you saw God show up, even in your worst of days, if you just tell about what Jesus has done in you, God can use that to fuel other people's hunger. So you don't have to be scared that you don't have all the answers, and you don't have to be scared, secondly, that you don't know the, the script of evangelism. Now, some of our church members are gifted at evangelism and trained prayer teams and prayer, trained Holy Spirit people. And if you're longing to be trained, like, we want to train you. We want to bring you along. We want to, to move you into a continuum where you know more and more and more about Jesus. You can help others see him. But there's also this accessibility for us as a congregation. That nobody, when, when they see Jesus in your life, they're not looking to you to have all the answers. They want to see that you believe in a God bigger than the city, in a God bigger than their problems, in a God bigger than their heartaches, in a God bigger than their grief, in a God bigger than their behavior. Tell me you believe that. Because if you believe in a big God, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see something in you that I'm going to hunger for. Do you believe in it? Or for many of us, that, that, that our faith can become more just like this, this thing that we at one time of our life connected some power to, but it's been some time. We've put it on a shelf, and God's gotten smaller and smaller in our lives. As one theologian, J.B. Phillips, said, many men and women today are living often with an inner de- dissatisfaction. I would agree. Without much faith in God at all, I would agree. This is not because they're particularly wicked or selfish, as the old-fashioned would say godless, but because they've not found with their adult minds a God big enough to account for life, big enough to command their highest admiration and respect, and consequently, big enough for their willing cooperation. Phillips wrote that in 1952, seven years after World War II, before modernism and postmodernity. And so the problem is, for many of us, is our own view of God and our own discipleship journeys is just small and sometimes muted. But if we know the city for what people hunger for, if we know this big God, our lives will proclaim the good news. So, know the city. And when I say that, I mean, like, yeah, read the Seattle Times and know what's going on with city politics, but know the people of the city. Know the parents on your kids' soccer teams. Hard one for me at times. Know those you ride to work with. Know those in your neighborhood. Know those you sit around at work. Know their stories. If you want people to know God, start by you knowing them. I now supervise four of the locations of Bethany North and West and East and Ballard. And when I'm meeting with these lead pastors and I say, hey, if you want to build a really good church, just coach youth soccer. Because for 10 years, I've coached little boys and little girls. And I just got to tell you something. If you promise not to tell the seven-year-old Golden Cheetahs who we just wrapped up a season, I don't actually know that much soccer. I don't know the middle line. Is it the middle line? Is it the half? Lying? Like, do you kick it in? Do you pass it in? I say, fall back. My wife says, yeah, we don't say that in soccer. Like, I don't know all the facts, but what I know is I know their names. I know that they belong on the soccer field. 
At the end of the games when we just build teamwork and camaraderie, I know that something special is happening and I believe that seeds are being sown in their life. And now some years later, over 20 people in this community are parents from one of those previous soccer teams. You want to build a church? Coach a team. You want to change the city? Know the people you do life with. Because the city is made of people, hungry people. We're called to help people know God through knowing the city. Secondly, know how to connect with people. Like this is this model of evangelism coming out of Acts 17. It doesn't appear that Paul does a Bible study. He does talk about Jesus. He does talk about resurrection. He's living in the first century. Obviously, there's not printed Bibles, but there was scripts. They had, Paul could have like read to them the Torah, different things, but no, he just talks to them through their own culture. He knows how to connect with them. He quotes the statue to an unknown God. Verse 22 through 31 is kind of Paul's speech in the Areopagus. He's like, people of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious. He encourages them. Next week, I'm going to talk about the power of encouragement. Because if you want to see somebody connect with God, don't start with Genesis 3 about their sinfulness. Start with Genesis 1. They were fearfully and wonderfully made. They were made by a God who knows them, who is wooing them, who's not done with them. Start at the beginning. Like that's where you can meet people in their point of need. So Paul like looks into them and he's like, he starts quoting them, them poetry. And I love this because the poets and the movies and, and the music that we listen to, they're all pointing to our hunger for joy or our hunger for meaning or our hunger to see the divine in the human. Like, that's why we look at art. That's why we listen to new music. That's why we watch movies. Yes, to be entertained. Also to, to help make connections about the purpose of life. Paul quotes one of their own poets, Eratus. In him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said. Now the fascinating thing about that, when Eratus wrote that line, he was talking about pantheism. And Paul co-offs the line to talk about Jesus. But if all truth is God's truth, then when we read scripture, when we see God on the top of Stephen's Pass, or when we see him, you know, as the Sounders prepare for a championship run, we can celebrate that God gives good gifts. We can celebrate that there's something in us we're hungry for, and we can help draw connections. And Paul doesn't just leave it at drawing connections. He's going to talk to them about resurrection. And so scripture is so important. It's so important. Uh, The Bible's full of verses about knowing the Bible in order to know God. But may we also be a church that helps draw connections from culture. Saying, yes, the Bible and culture. God is speaking through all of it to draw people unto himself. If our goal is to bring Christ to others, we need to know how to bring others to Christ. We need to learn how to read culture. We need to reveal that what we hunger for builds bridges. Paul quotes again. He says, we are indeed his offspring. Basically, he's like, you were made by God without accident. He's got a purpose for you. He's wooing them and talking about Jesus. How will we build bridges to Jesus? It's in healthy relationships. Because most of us in this room were forged in our faith, formed in our faith by people who loved us enough to tell us about Jesus. And we now look into our city that seems very 
anti-Jesus and we think that this truth inside of me is a private truth. And Jesus grieves because he, ha- he wants to live in us so that we would help others come alive in the faith. Our mission statement of Bethany Community Church, inviting people to God, to community, and to wholeness. And so yes, God is everywhere, but we have a responsibility to teach people how to find him. Yes, God is speaking through creation, and he's speaking through the Bible. He's speaking in the person of Christ that we would know him. We know this. Psalm 19 speaks about the God who speaks through creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard, but this is astounding. Their voice goes out into the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In other words, the psalmist is saying, is that God can speak through every means to draw people to him. And yes, God wants us to have an incredible ski day at Stevens, but he wants so much more for us for that. He wants to see us to connect with his spirit, with his power that would live inside of him. And so Paul turns to the resurrection. He turns to like, let me just get to it. Verse 31, he has set a day, says Paul, when he'll judge the world and with justice by the man he's appointed, he has given proof to this everyone by raising him from the dead. Even though the resurrection is off limits, Paul's like, I need you to know the main point, that Jesus died and beat death. N.T. Wright says about resurrection, like, why does it matter so much for Christians? The resurrected body is the one place in the physical universe that has already been set right. And so Jesus is the one who will set everyone else right. So our aim as the church is to connect to Jesus powerfully, to be so filled with his spirit, and then help other people see that in their hungers, they're not outside of God's plan, but they're looking for something that skiing or sounders or Kanye, like those things won't be fulfilled by culture alone. They can only be fulfilled by Christ. The point is to point to him. To search without finding can be frustrating, but to seek and to know Jesus is the one place where we can help people have their hunger filled in Christ. And it all, everything in culture is pointing to him. If we can draw connections, hey, with our non-believing friends and neighbors, this thing that you're wanting, like it's, the answer is Jesus. I was a high school teacher in Los Angeles, and so in my classroom, I was very careful to not talk about Jesus. But as an English teacher, I just felt like I was talking about Jesus all the time. Kids just didn't know it. I was talking about meaning and purpose and telling kids they matter and telling them to look deeper. And then, and then in relationship, we can invite them to Young Life or invite them to other places that could be more declarative about who Jesus is. We, we had this, this poster of Henry Wadsworth Longfellow's Psalm of Life, and we would draw on it all the time. The Psalm of Life, tell me not, says Longfellow, tell me not in mournful numbers that life is but an empty dream. For the soul is dead that slumbers, and things are not what they seem. Life is real. Life is earnest, and the grave is not its goal. Dust thou art, to dust return us, was not spoken of the soul. Look deeper. Like, if you say this to a high schooler, like, it's more than just what you can see with your eyes. Jesus is there, and he's for you, wooing you to deeper relationship. Use every aspect in culture. Use every element of the city, the good and the bad, to point to Jesus who wants so much more. And so this is where we end. It's all about knowing Jesus. It's all about it. 
That's why we hunger for more when we look into the city. It's why we draw connections in culture trying to bring our non-believing friends and neighbors or our, our former Christian friends and neighbors and family members back to where they can be encountering Jesus. We've got to be pointing to Christ. How are we helping people know Christ more and more and more as a church? Look at how this ends. Like this is this you know, kind of teaching of evangelism. And again, Paul doesn't do a Bible study with him. He quotes their poets and he talks about the resurrection. He gives them a choice. Verse 32 and 33 and 34 of Acts 17 on Mars Hill. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some sneered, but some others said, we want to hear you again on the subject. We're still hungry. And at that, Paul left the council and he stayed in the city and some of the people became followers of Paul and they believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, and also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. It's amazing. I'm going to talk about these individuals here in just a moment, but the point of everything, the point of speaking about Jesus is that we would know Christ. Paul said in Philippians 3, just a tagline, that when we're trying to kind of discern what is essential in our faith right now, which arguments are worth having, this is the foundations. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already attained all this or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Or as the video with Sean said, to feel the arms of Christ intertwined around us in the holiness and sacredness, yes, even in loss. We are pressing on to that which is already holding us. How do we do that? First, we need to come hungry to know and experience God, not just with our head, but also with our heart. James 4.8 is one of my anchor verses. I just think about this all the time. Draw near to God is the promise, and he'll draw near to us. It's not a transaction, it's a promise. When we come hungry for more of God, God wants to give himself more and more and more to us. And when Paul says, I want to know Christ, we're like, huh, I don't get it. Because he, he kind of knew Christ. He became a Christian like way back in the beginning of, you know, Acts. Like, you know, remember the Damascus Road and whatever? It's like, Paul's like, I want to know more. I'm hungry for more. I want more of my friends. I want more of my body. That's why I'm traveling around these forsaken towns because I want more people to know Christ. I want them to be, to, to, know, to know Christ. So come hungry Or as Jesus would often say when people would show up at his feet, what do you want? What do you hunger for? Do you hunger for more of Christ in your life and for more Christ in the people you love? Secondly, if you come hungry first, secondly, love people like Jesus would love people. People aren't projects. More than just calling people out of sin, call them into faith. And God gave people an awareness and a hunger. You don't have to put the hunger in them. You get to just speak about Jesus and let God, who is the giver of all life, work in that mystery. God uses thirst of people to draw people to himself. God is the living water. And so our job as a church is to seek out where people are thirsty and to tell them the Genesis 1 story, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And though we we settle for so much less, God wants to give himself to us that more and more and more we would know him, that we would grab onto that which is grabbed onto us, that we would enter into that discipleship journey. Love people like Jesus would love people. 
John 1, Jesus says to his disciples, you will see greater things than this. And in John 14, Jesus says to his disciples, you will do even greater things. So be prepared to be amazed. If you're hungry for the Holy Spirit in you, pouring out of you, we we can work with God where people in our culture are searching for meaning and speak Jesus there. Remember, searching without finding is frustrating. So we want to help people know Christ. Know Christ. We've got to be a church helping people know Christ, that we would, in ourselves, that we would know Christ, and that we would be living in such a way with this big God that people would want to see what's giving us life. This is Paul's story. Those two people at the end of Acts 17, what we know in Acts is every time that a name is given, it's significant, because the early church told stories about people's discipleship journey. So when Paul's like, well, you remember Dionysius and Damaris? Like everybody would have already known their story. That they had heard the truth of who Jesus was and they were hungry for meaning and their lives were lived different. Dionysius? Now this is amazing because church history, the church historian Eusebius documented this. Dionysius was a young man traveling in Cairo, Egypt. And then this one Friday, the sky went dark from about 12 to 3 in the noon. Bible readers in the room are like, it sounds like he's talking about Good Friday. It is, but Dionysius didn't know that. He was in Cairo, Egypt. He was just this really intellectual guy. Later would go to the Areopagus, but in Cairo, he wrote in his journal. What did he write? God is either suffering or God is either lost all. How did we just experience three hours of blackness? He's hungry. Years later, he's a leading influential man in the Areopagus, and this young man named Paul starts talking about Jesus, and he names what happened when Jesus at resurrection died, skies went dark, Jesus buried, sits for three days, Comes alive, beats day. Dionysius is like, oh my gosh. That thing that I was trying to figure out my whole life, I've been hungry for. Like we don't put the hunger in people. They're hungry already. We help people draw connections to who Jesus is. Dionysius goes on to be the bishop of Athens and dies a martyr's death. Because he experienced the truth of who Jesus is. Well, Tell me more about Damaris. Tell me more about Damaris. It seems odd that in this day and age where women had no voting rights and no power in Athens, what are women doing in the Areopagus? This woman, Damaris, is now a leader in the church. Most scholars say she was probably a high-priced escort, a lady of the night, a prostitute. As was common, the leading men in Athens would bring courtesans, high-priced prostitutes with them to these daily encounters. And so this woman, this marginalized woman in something in her hunger has led her into this wayward place, ends up on the arm of a man who's not good for her, and hears the truth about Jesus and becomes a leader in the early church. I want to do ministry like that. I want to be finding Damaris's on the margins of Aurora and saying, God's not done with you yet. And the Dionysius's, the young leaders to say, women and men who want to, I've been searching for more and I'm bright and I'm intellectual. Come into the church. We want to train you and equip you and help you pour out your life in order that more people would know Jesus. This is what it's about, knowing him, the transformation. So in conclusion... 
we're called to know the city. We're, we're called to know the culture. I hear far too much exasperation in Christians about the state of our city. We should hunger for God to do a mighty work first in us and then through us. And then we, we're called to know Jesus because he's the only one that can transform our city in the way in which we want. We, we know Jesus. Our, our, our uh, brother Lawrence said over 400 years ago, this, this Franciscan priest, he said, let us occupy ourselves entirely in knowing God. The more we know him, the more we will desire to know him. And as love increases with knowledge, the more we know God, the more truly we will love him. If we learn to love him equally in times of distress, we'll learn to love him in times of joy. So how? I just want to get real practical for a moment without being tasky, but some of you are in the room like, I'm in, help me with the how. We need to spend time daily with God in prayer. Prayer where we're not just speaking requests, we're seeking to listen and spend time with God. Spend time daily with God and grow with him. Secondly, open God's word with your family, with yourself, with a friend, with a roommate, and ask the word of God to give you a heart for the city. Third, hunger for the Holy Spirit to come alive with you so that you can connect with others. The Spirit has been given to us to tap into other people's hunger so that they would know Jesus. And finally, may you have the courage to speak to others about Jesus, your faith, your hope, and your heart. Because searching without finding is frustrating. But the scriptures say in Jeremiah 29, I will be found by you. I will be found by you. It's a promise. If we come hungry to know God, he already knows us. So when I stay in the uh, scavenger hunt with the little guy, and I stick into it, and I keep searching, and I, I just pay attention to the clues, and he walks me around, his mom and I show up, and there it is, the end of the hunt. And it's his treasure box. And he opens it up, and it's a few of his stuffed animals. This is treasure. And it's a few crumpled up $1 bills. And it's a soccer trophy, one of his prized possessions. And he wants to give it to us. He's just alive because he helped us find something. The Christians I know most on fire with the joy of the Lord are helping other people find Jesus. So may you search and may you find and may you help others know him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for this message this morning. Thank you for the way it challenges us and convicts us and empowers us. Lead us now in response, Lord. We love you so. And all God's people said, amen. This is Communion Sunday, which is the perfect response for hungry women and men that just want more of Jesus in their life. Because communion is such a picture that we can't do anything on our own. That on the night in which he's betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you, my friends. Men that would be getting ready to abandon him. Men that had nothing in common with each other other than Jesus. And Jesus then held up the cup of the new covenant. He said, this is my new covenant for forgiveness of sins. You are already forgiven. So take the food and drink the wine and know that you're in my family of faith. And so here at Bethany, this table is open to anyone that's hungry. And so we'll have two stations on the side and one down front, and we have gluten-free bread, all of it. And you just come. I'd love you to put your hands out. And we want to put the body of Christ into your hands so that you can receive that which will nourish you. Know Christ. And then you'll take the bread and dip it in the juice, and may you know that he loves you. 
Genesis 1, he created you. He's for you. He's wooing you to come alive in you. Let us pray over the elements now. Lord Jesus, thank you for the bread and the juice, the way in which you take these common elements and you make it holy here, God. You make it bread and you make it wine. You make it body and you make it blood. Thank you, God, that you're wooing us and speaking to us. Thank you that you want to know us and that you promise that we will be found by you because you already know our name. We love you, God. And all God's people said, amen. We'll have prayer ministers on the side. The stations will be open on the side in front. We'll just come through in a clockwise manner and receive the bread of life.